0: Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to another episode of EveryoneHatesMarketers.com, the digital marketing podcast for tech marketers who are sick of shady, aggressive marketing. I'm your host, Louis Grenier. Right. In this intro, i just like to invite you to send me an email. Ask me a question. Uh, tell me the biggest challenge you're facing right now in your marketing. Uh, The reason why I'm asking you this is because I do receive quite a lot of emails and I'm always surprised by the question I'm being asked because I literally had never thought of of this question before. So please send me emails. I do read every single one of them and I do reply to every single one of them. Uh, So if you have anything on your mind, feel free to send me an email at louis, that's L-O-U-I-S, at everyonehatesmarketers.com with your question and I will read and answer your email. In this episode, you're going to learn how to calculate the value of your leads over time and not just after 30 days. And that's really important because by understanding the value of your leads over time, you will be able to know what works and what doesn't in your marketing. So My guest today is Keith Perak, and he's a rare beast because he's both a developer and a marketer. And his website is develop yourmarketing.com, and he also has a product called Segmetrics, uh, which we're talking about during this episode. He's American but lives in Japan, which is quite rare to notice. Right, so this is key to being a non-scammy marketer, understanding the value of your leads. So making sure that the people in your customer database and in your customer you know, list are actually involved in your marketing message is critical, And you need to understand who is responsible for the revenue you're trying to make and who isn't. And you need to really tailor your marketing for those type of leads. So this is what we're going to go through in this episode. As usual, there's going to be a step-by-step methodology you can implement in your business today or tomorrow. Have a listen and let me know what you think. So Keith, thank you so much for your time. I have something to tell you. I think that customer centricity and when companies said that they are customer centric, I think that's completely bullshit. Um, <laughs> the reason why I say that is not because the idea is bad. Obviously, every single business must focus on their customers. I mean, if they mm-hmm. don't, then they have no money to pay their, their employees. So that's kind of obvious. But I can guarantee you if I ask 100 digital companies or even companies in general, do they know exactly, you know, the, the the people who typically buy from them do they know exactly what they like and what they don't like do they know exactly the key issues that they come up with just before buying and after buying do they know mm-hmm. exactly the value of each customer etc cetera, etc cetera? I I think ninety nine percent of them would wouldn't be able to, to oh no tell one has so. any idea right no no one has any idea so no no company is able to do that and it's a beautiful thing to say oh we are very customer centric but it's 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 a it's very rare to find a company that is truly, uh, customer centric So, yeah. um, if you don't measure the value of the people in your funnel, like how much they're worth, you're basically, mm-hmm. you're fucked, right? So, right. um, it's easy enough to, to measure the value of a lead during the first 30 days because Fe- Facebook does that really well, mm-hmm. but then it's extremely difficult to measure the value of a lead or a customer or a person after a few months or after a few years. And yet, right. this is what good marketing is about. It's about long-term thinking, not like short-term hacks. So yep. what what are the problems as a result of not measuring those leads, the lead value in the long term? What problems so, arise?
1: I mean, the biggest problem should be obvious, which is you have no idea how much a lead is actually worth. Yeah, so Facebook tells me in the first 30 days, John came in, he saw this ad, he purchased, uh, 10 days later, he's worth $20, let's say, right? But then the next time John purchases, it's not through a Facebook ad because he's already in our email funnels. He's in our email sequences. And so he's now having these touch points and interacting with our company in a way that Facebook can't measure. So now it's completely separated. We know that John is worth, let's say, after a year, $500. But we don't know that he came from Facebook. There's no way to track that back. And so one of the things that's become very, very important for us with a lot of our clients is understanding where people come from, what touch points they hit in the funnel, and then how much they're worth at the end, right? Because uh, there's a great quote from uh, Bain & Company that says it costs about five to six times as much money to get a new customer than it does to convert an existing customer to purchase again, right? Right and you need to be able to focus on growing that revenue internally rather than just focusing on new customers and new customer acquisition
0: right so that's beautiful right that's a nice thought to say well we're able to measure everybody's value and over time and all but like let's start from a point where we are selling stuff online a software whatever it is right and Mm -hmm. In an ideal world, we have this funnel that is beautiful, you know, like, uh, oh, people come from the top and then they go in the middle. They have a few touch mm-hmm. points negative to at the bottom and then they convert on happy days, right? It usually never really happens like this, right? The cycle is, is much more complicated than that. Yep. Um, sometimes what happens is as well, uh, people use different devices. Uh, it's mm-hmm. very difficult to track. Sometimes they use different emails. Um, and sometimes they would, um, they would just be very difficult to track because maybe they've discovered you from word of mouth. So if somebody mm-hmm. told them about your product, they googled it, then there was a cookie on your page, on their page, therefore you're being retargeted on Facebook. And maybe that's when you start the process of entering the funnel, but perhaps right. Facebook wasn't the first channel. So that's a very long statement to say. <laughs> it's how do you first, let's say, Let's isolate the first point. How do you deal with um, the touch points that are like prior, like to digital touch points? Like, how do you measure the effectiveness of of this, like kind of word of mouth or stuff that are extremely difficult to track? It's super
1: hard, right? Because the only way, and our company and a lot of the products that we build and everything really deal with once people are on that list. So essentially, from that landing page forward. Because it is so difficult to track people before you have that unique identifier that is either their email address or some sort of device tracking. Um, Facebook kind of helps. Google kind of helps where they have because they know when you log into Google that, oh, John on his desktop is the same as John on his mobile is the same as John on his uh, tablet. And Facebook does the same thing. As soon as you can view a site on your desktop and suddenly you're getting mobile ads for it uh, on your Facebook account because they know how it's all connected. The problem is getting that information and bringing it back into a solid conversion for before people get onto your emailing list. And to be honest, while that's very informative and I think it would be very good to have that information – at this point in the sales funnel and the technology, I think it's one of those rabbit holes that you just don't need to go down yet. And the reason is because there's just so many variables. Like, is someone logged into Facebook? And to be honest, it's a it's a little – I don't want to say scammy, but it, it is a little bit creepy. A lot of people don't like being tracked around the internet like that. And so one of the things that we really look at is – not how do we track people across the internet, but how do we track people once they have started that permission marketing, once they have opted in and said, yes, I am interested in this brand, I am interested in your message, now give show me what you've got, kind of, right? And then what we do is we say, okay, we have an email address, we have a communication channel with this person, now let's track them through every step of the funnel and see what can turn them from a lead into a customer and then a customer into a recurring customer and what are the touch points in that funnel and when i refer to touch points i'm talking about pdfs or email content or webinars or something that you have set in that funnel to say this is something amazing i am showing you and you're hoping that that amazing thing is going to convince them to buy so, what are those touch points that people can take in order to increase their lifetime value, right?
0: Yeah. So let me let me uh, before we start in in digging into the more details. To summarize, what, what you're saying is like, if you start as a marketer to try to understand whether. Like branding exercise, such as, you know, word of mouth and, and stuff like, like this. If you start to try to measure that, you're going to, you're going to go into a rabbit hole that is extremely difficult to get out of. And Mm -hmm. so you would advise instead to, to start really measuring things when you gather the first information about them, thanks to their action. Right. So an email address seems to be kind of the unique identifier nowadays. It's still very much used and everybody has an email so you would you would recommend to to start with that, right?
1: Exactly. And then you can measure those same touch points from the from the acquisition side, right? So let's say that someone has been on my list for a year, they haven't bought anything, and then they see one of my Facebook ads and they opt in for that Facebook ad, and then they're on the sales funnel and they purchase. So I don't know about the word of mouth. I don't know about the social connections and stuff that they've had. But I do know that after a year of being on my list, this ad convinced them, it was a touch point that convinced them to go on to the sale, right? So I know that that ad is doing something right for people who have been on my list for a long time.
0: Okay, right. So we're starting here at the very top. And you would advise, obviously, from, from what you're saying, the sooner we get an email address, the sooner we get somebody to to say, "I I agree, I would like to hear from you again. Um, mm-hmm. The better. So we should probably use uh, a tactic that would, you know, give them value, uh, very good value for free. And the only thing that they have to do to, to get it is to give their email address in return, right? So try to get right. it as fast as possible in this particular step of the funnel, right? Yep, exactly. Okay. So we, let's say we have an email address of some sort. Mm-hmm. How, how do you go about measuring, uh, the, the value of this person over time? How do you exactly go about it? Like, let's try to get into the step by step of the typical scenario.
1: Yeah. So what we will generally do is in the, in the old way, in the traditional way, it involves a lot of Excel spreadsheets. Right. So a lot of data exporting and a lot of merging. Uh, we actually built a tool to, to help with that because it took so much time. But the idea is what, what you do is of you, the tool? uh, segmetrics. Okay. Yeah. So that's, uh, we worked with Infusionsoft for seven years or something like that. Just tired of exporting these Excel sheets, which I'll talk about in a second. And then, um, just built something to do it automatically. But essentially what you need to do is you need to look at the total amount that someone has paid you over time, right? So each person, uh, has an amount of money that they have paid you over their lifespan. And then what you need to do is look at any of those touch points. So what people tend to not do correctly is that when they, they're looking at data, they're really looking at, Oh, I want to know what the, I want to know the best lead magnet, right? You have to come into it with a question, you have to come in with a very specific question. You can't just go into data and say, show me everything, because it doesn't mean anything, right? I I know a lot of people jump into Google Analytics and they're like, oh, I'm totally going to find out what I need to do today. And it, you end up spending six to seven hours in there and don't get anything from it, because you have to have a question that you're looking for an answer. So let's start with the first one, which is which Facebook ad is the most valuable over time? So I can look at my Facebook ads in the Facebook um Editor and I can say, okay, in 30 days, this is the best ad. But what about in the long term? So I need to look at every person on my list, how much they're worth and then where they came from. So I'm tracking their, their Facebook UTM codes or their, which ad they came into on each of those people. And then I pivot and I on the, on my data set and I say, okay, I have these campaigns. I have this many people after their entire lifespan which may be 90 days, 100 um 1000 days, maybe 10 years, this is how much this campaign brought me in that time frame, right? Mm-hmm. And especially for cold lead traffic and because we're to- and I'll, I'll get into that in a second, cold leads and these nurturing campaigns, the result is not always immediate. I've worked with multiple clients where Their initial email sequence that they get from a Facebook ad is 30 days. So Facebook's not even tracking at that point, right? Mm -hmm. Just the warming to get someone ready for the sale can be 30 days. So what we generally see is you can see a Facebook ad that looks like on the, on the surface that it performed horribly. But if you look at it 90 days later, 120 days later, people are worth maybe $10 a lead or
0: $20 a lead when you thought they were only worth a, a penny or two. So let me stop re- right here because it, obviously it's obvious for you because you've been working only for, uh, for years, right? But let's, That is let's, my biggest problem. <laughs> let's, no, it's fine. My, my, one of my biggest strengths is, is basically the ability to go back on in time and just try to ex- re-explain stuff a little bit. Uh, so you mentioned two things that are important. First of all, I think the, the step one is to have a CRM of some sort, right? Yeah. Because if you do not have that, how are you able to track you the, up? right? Yep. It sounds very simple, right? But there might be businesses nowadays that are still using Excel spreadsheet to, to track their, their customers. And that might not be the best option. So look at like, if you don't have a CRM right now, definitely get one, right? So that you can oh, yeah. store your contact details and your customer details, right? No. So that's step one. And then step two, you're mentioning a term that I hate, not because the term itself is bad, but because I find it the technology I find it absolutely like we are in 2017 and it's still so bad, like the UTM tracking, which is mm-hmm. those little snippets at the end of a URL that tells you, well, this is this campaign, this is this medium. So like Facebook, then it tells you this is this campaign, and basically any tool that does any type of tracking or analytics, take that and show that in a report, right? I find mm-hmm. it absolutely mine mind like blowing that in 2017 we don't have a better way (laughs) to try things right no seriously i mean it's it's true it's true so anyway uh, Uh, yeah
1: and managing them is a is a huge pain but unfortunately it is the only way to track that information across multiple sites so to track your ads track your google analytics to track anything that's what you need
0: yeah right so you have your c r m and then make sure that every single campaign you're doing, whether it's on social media on like Facebook, twitter, whatever it is paid ads uh normal social media updates, even in your own website in the footer in the header, make sure to like add those u t m tags so that you know exactly where people are coming from yep um and so that you can track them right yep, exactly. And there's
1: a, depending on the CRM, so I know this is possible in Drip and FusionSoft, Entreport, you can actually set events on each of those people. So every time someone logs in, it has come from your email address and they hit a page from an email, you can say, hey, this person just clicked on this email and came to this page. Or, hey, this person's interested in this content. This person's interested in this content. And you can create these kind of micro touch points throughout the site. And every single touch point that you have gives you a question that you can then ask, right? You can say, okay, people who saw this ultimate guide to playing Frisbee, how many of them turned into customers? And now I can see, right? Because everyone on my list is tagged on that. And I can say, okay, because here's the question you want to ask. Here's the crux of this whole thing, which is I have people going through, let's say, a two-week funnel. This is a two-week nurture campaign. I'm giving them great information the whole time, and I'm going to offer them a PDF on how to play better Frisbee, right? Okay. How much are people worth that don't click that link and don't download the ultimate guide? And how much are people worth that do click it? And what you generally see is if it's a good touch point, like webinars, quizzes, that kind of stuff, the people who click on that, who say yes to that touch point, are going to be worth up to 10, 20 times as much as someone who doesn't. So once you know if a touch point is good at converting people to sales, you then know, okay, we got to get more people to click this. We got to get more people to take this touch point, right? So you're identifying, it's, a, it's a journey. Your whole email funnel is a journey and you want people to touch those points that are the best Parts of your journey that give them the most information, the best value, and convince them to purchase at the end.
0: So, step one, you, you pick a CRM, and, and then I said, uh, I said step two, you put UTM tags everywhere. I think step two should actually be map out your your current journey. Like yeah. map, uh, map out the flow. And let's take a very simple example now for the rest of the, the episodes where we are selling, uh, um, frisbees. Like okay. they're actually wooden Frisbees that are the best in the world. And what we want, instead of just making random people buy Frisbees straight away, we want actually to educate them about the benefit of using the specific Frisbees and also how to use it better. And yep. then at the end, the final touch point would be to buy it, right? So three touch points. Number one would be an email sequence. Number two would be a PDF. And number three would be to buy the Frisbee, yep. right? So I'm mapping out my journey. The typical journey. Yes, people might do, might go back and forth. They might actually check on Google and do many other things before buying from you or whatever. But those are the main touch points that you control. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So step three, step three then is to make sure that you're tagging those touch points accordingly. And exactly. I like what you're saying about the events. So most CRMs and most marketing automation tool now allows you to create events every time specific conditions are, are met, such as. Mm-hmm. If somebody comes from this campaign, which is a UTM tagging uh, campaign, mm-hmm. then create these events, right? Yep. So exactly. you were saying, if you know that this touchpoint brings a lot of customer value, what, what should you do with it?
1: So if you know that a specific campaign or a specific touchpoint is a converter, then you should try to... Get more people into it. So whether that's putting more information in earlier emails, if they don't take that touch point, then sending a reminder email afterwards, something to or even just hype up the the touch point itself, improve the email that leads to that touch point. Right. So one of the common touch points that we could have and we could that we see and then we can do it for the Frisbee. So let's say halfway through our email sequence, we do a webinar on how to be an ultimate Frisbee master, right? And what this is gonna be, it's just gonna be a 30-minute video of people jumping through hoops and throwing Frisbees and just looking amazingly cool with their Frisbee that you can buy right now, right? We find that people who attend the webinar purchase at about 10 times as much as the people who are not. So they're worth 10 times as much. So someone who doesn't see the webinar is worth a dollar, Someone who does see the webinar is worth $10, all right? What we can do is increase the number of emails that lead up to that webinar. We can say, hey, by the way, we're running this webinar tomorrow. You should totally see it. By the way, this webinar is in four hours. Come check it out. And then we can send an email afterwards. If they didn't attend, we say, hey, saw you couldn't get to the webinar. That's That really, that sucks. Uh, We're doing a replay right now. Why don't you come check it out? And in some cases, you could even say, hey, you didn't catch the webinar, or the replay. So sorry. But I tell you what, we're, we have a special offer for you right here. Catch them on the, the back end. Right. So the idea is to get them to increase the surface area of that touch point. Right. Because if you're it's kind of like uh, what Laura Roeder says with Edgar, which is most people are not opening their emails. Right. Twenty percent. Uh, a 20% open rate is a good open rate. So you don't just email them once. You email them three to four times about something that you know is very effective. You don't want to email them four times about everything. But if this webinar is super important to you and to the efficacy of your funnel, then it makes sense to email them again to remind them and to keep them abreast of this thing. It also creates kind of an event, right? Because You need to remember that not everyone understands that these emails are timed. They think that they're live, right? So if you're offering this webinar on Tuesday at 4 p.m. and you're like, hey, remember next Tuesday is this webinar. And then you send another one. It's like, hey, we're starting this webinar in an hour. You totally need to be here. That creates an urgency. That creates interesting information
0: for the people on your list. Yeah. So this is, this is a good point about like Laura Roder, who's the CEO of, uh, of Edgar. Um, she's making a point that yes, like you are reading all of your marketing material, right? And when you send it to people, you're kind of scared that they're already they They're sick of it already, but they actually haven't read it. Um, the point here is that people are not as sick as, as you, uh, regarding your marketing mm-hmm. stuff. So it's okay to repeat yourself on certain things that are very important, as you said. And it's not bad marketing to do it if you know that what you're doing is, is valuable, right? Obviously don't spam people with like shitty content that you know is completely useless. Focus mm-hmm. on things that you know are valuable based on what people have been telling you before, right? So try to, to, to make more and more people aware of this touch point that is incredibly useful because you know that for a fact, people who, who, uh, who go through it usually are more valuable than people who don't. Right. Exactly. Right. So we are at this step where we've, 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 uh, kind of designed this customer journey. Uh, we have the touch points. We, we are now able to track those touch points. But then, so how do you measure, how do you go about finally measuring this, this lead value and, and trying to, f- let's, let's talk about a, a report that you would typically mm-hmm. generate the most valuable report you genuinely generate for clients that people could could do uh, and generate themselves using an Excel spreadsheet?
1: Yeah, so the easiest number that we always pick out is the top level number is how many people went through this funnel and how many people, what's the total amount of revenue that was generated for the funnel, All right? So those are two pretty simple numbers. So what you do is you say, okay, everyone who submitted a form to this funnel, how many people was that? Now, what is the lifetime value of all those people? And now you have a number. This is how much your funnel is worth. Then you go to the next step and you say, okay, we have this webinar. We ha- we know we have – let's let's give solid numbers. We have a 1,000 people in our funnel, all right? Uh, and I'm going to write on the board so I remember these numbers as well because otherwise I am not going to remember them in 10 minutes. All right, and we're going to say that we made $10,000 from – this, uh, from this funnel, which means that each lead is worth $10, all right? Mm-hmm. So that's our, that's our total funnel lead value. Over time, however long the funnel is, uh, and through the entire lifetime value of that funnel, those 1,000 people are worth $10,000. All right, so let's look at the touch point. Our first touch point is that webinar, all right? And what we're going to see is we have, let's say, 200 people hitting the webinar, And we have 800 people not hitting the webinar, all right? So the 200 people who are hitting the webinar are going to be worth, let's say, $7,000, all right? The 800 people are worth the remaining $3,000. So now we can see that people who hit the webinar are worth so much more than the people who don't hit the webinar. So what we've done here is – We did the same thing. We said, okay, of the thousand people who have gone through this funnel, how many of them have the attended webinar tag? 200. All right. And how much are those people worth for their lifetime? That's $7,000. So now we know exactly how much that webinar is worth. And then we can do that with the next touch point. We can say, okay, after the webinar, we send a PDF. How many of those people took the PDF? How many didn't? And what's the value of each? So as we go down each touch point, we're just doing a simple calculation of how many people saw it. How much are those people worth in their lifetime? And that's how we kind of figure out what those, what the value of each of those touch points are. And as you go down, it gets more complex. After this funnel, you have a secondary product. You have a third product. You have a fourth product. So it gets more complex as time goes on. But the, the actual number that you're looking at at first is super simple. How many people touched it? How much were they worth?
0: Very cool. Um, listeners are, are not as lucky as me because I had the live demonstration on the whiteboard, but uh, we'll make sure to add the show note, add the uh, the picture to the show notes. Uh, yeah, it's a fairly fairly simple way to to see it, but uh, I would I would say that not many people are doing it this way, and uh, even though they they should. Uh, so thanks for that. Um, let's stop talking about marketing for a second and talk about you for a bit, right? So your website is developyourmarketing.com and yep. uh, you also have other products as you mentioned you have segmetrics which is one and we'll also mention the other ones that you have in, in the show notes uh, so you have a particular set of skills right uh, you're mm-hmm. a marketer and a developer which i think is quite rare um it's so how did you build your served, craft
1: yeah so it, it served me well so i you know, college was many, many years ago, but I double majored in design and computer science. Um, I'd always been interested in design. I wanted to be a cartoonist when I was growing up. I uh, always been interesting in development. I got my first computer at like the age of five and started programming pretty much right away. Um, and after college, I realized that I couldn't live as a cartoonist. So I decided to forgo that. And I went to Japan uh, to, I taught English there for three years and then started at a Japanese startup. And I went from essentially, Hey, this is a guy doing technical translation to a developer and then essentially running the entire technical side of the company. So I did product design, product, um, development, uh, strategy and all that stuff. And I did that for about six years and it was a small company. So the good thing about small companies is that you have to do everything. There's no one, there's no team that you can say, Oh, now you go do this and you're not siloed. Right? So I had to figure out, Hey, what designs work, what marketing strategies work, what, um, how do you develop software that works well? How do you develop things that convert well? And I did that for about six years and then we got acquired and I decided to go out on my own. And at this point, I had a lot of design experience. I had a lot of development experience and I had a smattering of marketing experience and I decided, well, let's, let's try this. Let's, let's work on the marketing side of things because that's, that's where the skills that I have get applied the best, right? And so I started working with Ramit Sadie at I will teach to be rich and worked with him, I think five or six years and started building a team. And I was focused pretty much on his CRO and his tech, the technical side of his company. And I don't know how many people know Ramit Sethi, but he is a whirlwind of force. And the amount – it was essentially like being thrown into the fire. So the amount of uh, marketing knowledge and technical knowledge that I learned in the first two years eclipsed anything that I had done uh, previously. It was uh, pretty amazing.
0: How did you learn uh, Japanese, by
1: the way? uh, Japanese, I had been... I'd studied in high school and a little bit in college, and I had studied abroad twice before, so I had been studying it a long time. I was never very good until I moved there. So, yeah, the good thing about going and teaching English there is that it's a very easy job uh, for a pretty good pay, at least in Japan. And so... I was able to study a lot of Japanese. And when I decided to stop teaching English, I could go and work at a standard Japanese company. So I was actually the only English speaker at our company.
0: Uh, like, I've never been to Japan, and I don't know the Japanese culture that much. But uh, what would be the most surprising thing if I if I went there today to work there in Japan? What would be the, the single most surprising thing about um, it? A, how long people work and
1: B, how little they actually get done each day. <laughs> <laughs> that's the like it's because people know they have to be there from about 830 in the morning till 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock at night. That. Yeah, it's I rarely got home before midnight. Um Yeah, that's why I don't work there anymore. <laughs> but um it's. It's amazing because I would say the amount of work that gets done is comparable to the to the West. It just happens over a longer period of time. Right. Because if you've got to be there for 11, 12 hour or no, that's 14 hours. Right. You don't you're not in a hurry. So I had coworkers that were cleaning their ears. They were taking naps on their desk. They one guy uh, was building a bicycle in his (laughs) cubicle. And and I looked over and it says, "Is that a bicycle for the office?" And he's like, "Nope." <laughs> so so he spent two hours that day just building a bicycle in his office. And wow! It's, yeah, it's the same amount of work just spread out over a much longer time period. Um, well,
0: um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy it's it's yeah I don't I don't know what to say after that it's, it's sad <laughs> it's sad as well right because it is it is what a life
1: yeah I think the the younger generation is starting to change but it's I I didn't live in Tokyo I lived out in the boonies and so very much an old style of working and an old kind of idea I did a lot of enterprise sales and stuff so I had to work with companies that have been around for a hundred two hundred years or whatever um which it was really good because you just can't get that experience, especially here in the States. So it was a great experience to, to go through. I am also very glad that I am not doing it anymore.
0: <laughs> have you been to uh, the GRO restaurant? The GRO restaurant? Yeah. Have, you, have you heard of this documentary, uh, GRO Dreams of Sushi?
1: Oh, the GRO Dreams of Sushi. Uh, yeah. I have not been there. That actually got famous close to when I left.
0: Oh like that's my sushi is my thing and uh I'd love to go there. Um yeah. definitely a plan. Anyway I need, to, I need to watch the documentary at some point. Yeah you do because it's actually quite good. It teaches you that the value of specially specialization over generalization, like the fact that this guy has been willing to specialize his own life, like his entire life on one particular craft. And that this specialization enabled him to be the best in the world at it by a mile is, I think, is a good lesson for anybody who, who wants to get into marketing in particular. Like, you're not okay. going to be the best marketer in the world, right? Definitely, definitely. I think that,
1: you know, that specialization, it not only – I mean, Jiro is a great example because, you know, he's so, he's so specialized and it becomes such a good story when you think, especially in the West now, when you think of sushi, you think of Jiro Dreams of Sushi, right? Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of things like that. Like there's sushi restaurants everywhere. So why is it Jiro that has the that documentary about him? Why is it Jiro that has this following? It's because he's now known. He's been able to niche down into this beautiful story about what he's doing. If he just said, I'm a Japanese chef, it's it's not as impressive, right? But he has this story. He has this narrative about him being the best in the world of him being a craftsman. And that's one thing that I always loved about the Japanese. I won't say workforce like the the business, but the Japanese work ethic is this idea of being a craftsman. And I think that as marketers, yes, there's slimy marketers who are just out there to, to get a quick buck. But if you look at the people who are succeeding and the people who endure with their message and their marketing and their sales over, over years. It's the people who treat the marketing and treat what they're developing as a craft, right? It's people who look at what they are doing and say, I want to provide the best content and the best value to my readers because I value them because I value the work that I am putting into it. And I've worked with a lot of clients who, who run the gamut between, I want to put out the, I value my readers versus the people who are, I just want to make a ton of money. Right. And that's why I've seen, it's interesting. I've seen lists that are 20,000 people in size outperform lists that are a million people in size, just because that 20,000 people list is so much more dedicated and so much more engaged with the message that's being that's being presented from this, this craftsman marketer rather than a blast of, hey, here's my affiliate link for the week. Or, hey, you should totally buy this other product. Or, hey, you should buy this other product, right? And that's – especially as we're talking about lead value and especially as we're talking about these email funnels, to me, the number one important thing is to have great content and provide great value over time. And that's why we were t- talking about – the lead value increasing exponentially as time goes on because people come to know you, they come to trust you, and at some point that trust level has overcome the objection level, and that's when they become the customer,
0: right? In the documentary of the Zero Dreams of Sushi, there's a scene where Zero massage, massages massages his, his octopus, right? So there's a dead octopus <laughs> in, a, in a in a in a kind of a bucket, right, and. Mm-hmm. He knows the exact amount of time he needs to massage this octopus, right? He knows Mm -hmm. that for optimum, like savory, optimum, like taste experience, he needs to be massaged for, I think, three hours or whatever. And he would do that every time there's a fresh octopus in the market, right? So I would go and I would try to make an association, like a, a correlation between the two that might sound weird, but... You do as a marketer. You need to massage your customers the same way than than your messages is octopus. Yeah. You you need to treat everyone on your list as if they were an octopus. Exactly. <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> that, um, that's the number one takeaway from this call yeah. from the from the
0: show. You must <laughs> message your octopus, um, <laughs> right? Uh, I meant to ask you like. W- why do you think marketers have a bad reputation in general? But you've answered this question, which is, which is great. What advice would you give to people who want to get into marketing or at least to, who, who want to get into the better side of marketing? Uh, what would be your number one advice?
1: I think it's, it's two parts. Uh, but the, the main one is to create a niche where you are separate from the people around you. What makes you different? What is the, the key point that you can provide that other people can't provide? What makes you different? Right? And then write great content that goes around that. And don't, honestly, don't hire copywriters off the bat. Uh, especially don't hire content farms or content, uh, creation agencies. They're like, Oh, we'll write content for you because the problem with them is that they are not unique. They are not you. They don't get your unique selling proposition, right? They don't get what makes you different. And especially in the beginning, you have to figure that out for yourself. And your copy will suck at the beginning. It sucks for everyone at the beginning, but you keep doing it and it keep getting better every single time you write.
0: Yeah. Like that's, that's a perfect way to describe it because it's the same for me, you know. I've, I've I've been struggling to write for years, and and now only now have I started to become better at it, and I'm starting to enjoy writing, right? And it takes years mm-hmm. and years. Um, so yes, pick pick a niche, right? And I like I like what you're saying about the content. There's so much buzz around this term at the minute, and like creating content, but like ah, <sighs> miserable. It's not about creating content, really. It's about the value, and value is also a miserable term. Uh It's about helping people. And understanding right. the biggest problems,
1: right? And it's interesting because, you know, people say, oh, you have to have a ton of content. You don't have to have a ton of content. You have to have one to two pieces of amazingly good content. And then you can kind of reach, you can grow off of that. The reason that people say you need a ton of content is because they're not thinking about the content. They're kind of, you're, they're using a shotgun approach, right? Of let's just put a bunch of stuff out there and see what sticks, but mm-hmm. if you really think about it, it's not that hard. I, I say up on my my ivory ivory tower, but it's not that hard to find something that can be interesting and connect with your audience if you think about it, right? But you really have to think about it and be in that content.
0: Absolutely, um, there isn't much to add to that. I think I think we've uh, we've described it quite well. Um, so. On that, what what do you think marketers should learn today that will help them in the next 10 years?
1: I think the big, the two biggest things that people need to remember, and this is kind of a recap, is that, one, people are worth more the longer they are on their list. You should not focus on getting thousands of new customers in the top of your funnel. You should focus on the customers you already have. You should focus on what is the experience of people once they go through your first funnel. All right. Um, are you dropping them and letting them have nothing? Or are you continuing to support them through good content and good sales? The second thing is that you need to remember that people respond to good content with trust. And that's what you're trying to build with these email funnels is not you shouldn't even think of them as a sales funnel, although they are what they really are, are trust funnels. How can you talk to people on your list in such a way that they understand you they trust you and they trust you to bring good information and not steer them wrong and at that point that's when they're going to turn from a lead into a customer
0: yeah i'm glad you're mentioning trust because that's a big big belief of mine that trust is the is the the, like the the base of marketing of good marketing if somebody trusts you then he or she would will be willing to do much more than somebody who doesn't, and that's what you you, you need to seek absolutely. There is a good report uh, that I would recommend everybody to read. It's called the Edelman Trust Report, which is every year uh, that goes out. And it basically states the the how trust is being, uh, how trustworthy are people in general, how trust how trustworthy are people towards companies, towards businesses, towards. Uh, charities, etc., and towards politicians every year. It's fantastic mm-hmm. because you see the evolution of of trust versus the the fake news, uh, bullshit, and all this kind of stuff, right? And 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 you see how the trust is shifting, and why people trust certain things instead of others. It's fascinating, read, So I would recommend anybody to read uh, to read that. So, in um, outside of that, what will be the top? Three resources you would um, recommend marketers uh, on the listeners to, to read or to listen to, or whatever it is?
1: Yeah, if well, the first resource I would definitely recommend is uh, getting a CRM if you don't have one already. Uh-huh. Um, some of the, the good books that I've been reading recently, uh, War of Art is really good, um, talks about how to keep. Generating good con, God, I hate that phrase, generating good content. Uh, how to get over writer's block and how to write things that are interesting and understand the issues that all writers have. Uh, ultimate sales letter, uh, which I really enjoyed, uh, writing or sorry, reading and then, uh, getting all you can out of what all you've got. And those are kind of my three go to books right now that I've really enjoyed reading about marketing. I see you can prepare it. I did, I did, I, uh, I. As I was listening to the other podcast, I was like, okay, he's definitely going to ask me what my <laughs> resources and books are. So,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. And I think two of the three books I've never heard of, so I'll definitely uh, check them out. Um, Who do you think I should interview next?
1: That's a great question. Have you interviewed Philip Morgan? Yes.
0: <laughs> Have you interviewed Kai Davis? Uh, so. Th-
1: no, mm-hmm. all your okay.
0: friends, all your friends are, are are in the list. So what? What's, yeah. <laughs> what's next? Uh, Brennan Dunn. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You yeah. got Brennan? Okay. Um, yeah. I will I will, I will. I will. I will. That's that's. Yeah. I need. Uh, so Bren, Brennan Dunn is from um, freelancer. uh what it's called? Double freelancing. Double freelancing. Yeah.
1: Then Mojaka Mars or Moika Mars. Sorry. Who, who is that? Moika Mars. She is a copywriter. Uh, who focuses a lot on freelancing and stuff and then Jane Portman from Breakfast
0: UI, who I absolutely adore Okay, sounds really good I'll definitely yeah. add them to the list and, and email them uh, in the next yeah. few, few weeks uh, Right, Keith, it's been a pleasure Thank you so much for it's your so, time It's been so great, thanks so much So thank you so much once again, and au revoir.